Hello everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Considering Culture. I hope you've all been keeping well. I certainly have now that my GCSEs are officially over. Good luck to anyone still doing exams. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, don't worry. For this half-times episode, I had so many vague ideas floating around in my head, from the paradox of tolerance to whether kindness was an inherent part of human nature and not something taught. Finally, I decided to delve in deeper into a topic that has always held my interest, the relationship between celebrities and their fans. Anyone who's spoken to me even once knows of my love for K-pop, and it has always amazed me to see both teenagers and older adults turn into playground bullies to defend their favourite artists. I've always wondered how a seemingly innocent admiration for a celebrity could turn into frantic, almost cult-like behaviour, so this is what I'll explore in today's episode. Get comfortable and join me in exploring the somewhat insidious world of fame and celebrity worship. Before I dive deeper into psychological tactics used by companies to promote their artists, it's worth discussing some of the key terminology used by the industry. Artists such as BTS or Blackpink that you might be familiar with are actually referred to as idols. The dictionary defines the word idol as both a representation of a god used for worship, as well as a person or thing that is greatly admired, revered, and loved. Therefore, the fact that these performers are referred to as idols further creates an aura of grandeur and perfection around them, as if they are no longer human beings, like you and I. When you start to place normal people, with flaws and imperfections as well as strengths, on a pedestal above everyone else and almost worship them, it should come as no surprise that unhealthy attachments and obsessions can and do form in fans towards their favourite artists. Our ape line evolved through a common ancestor over 19 million years ago, and the human line evolved from a branch around 5 to 7 million years ago, with the other branch leading to chimpanzees. You may be wondering what on earth our evolutionary history has to do with today's episode, and the answer is the differences between us and chimpanzees. Humans can maintain a group size of 150, compared with a maximum of 45 for chimpanzees. According to evolutionary psychologist Robin Dunbar, the reason for this is that humans have the capacity to reach three times as many social contacts for a given amount of social effort. Our incredible social capacity has also played a part in the development of things like religion. This desire to be known and to know, as well as foster relationships with others, is therefore what has created such an attachment between the K-pop industry's idols and its fans. Fandoms are created out of our need to construct a strong sense of identity, which includes who we are, what we want and what we believe. In Sarajina and Shouten's paper from 2017, resolving identity ambiguity through transcending fandom, they explain that fans are able to create their self-identities because they support idols who have similar or admirable personalities, which affects fans' realisation of their own identities. The K-pop industry simplifies this process, which is where I think Western artists differ. You might have heard of Justin Bieber fans being referred to as believers, or One Direction fans being known as directioners, but these are largely rare occurrences only happening once the artist has reached massive levels of fame, enough to unite their fans under a single name. The K-pop industry is quite different, in that every single group announces an official fandom name soon after their debut, 
regardless of fame. If you've spent enough time on the internet, you probably already know that BTS fans are called ARMY and Blackpink fans are called Blinks. But this tradition of having fandom names extends beyond these two giant groups. Revelove, Once, Stay, Choice, S1 are just a few examples of names for fans of different K-pop groups. Some people might argue that in the grand scheme of things, a name given out to fans of a certain group doesn't mean much, but I disagree with this opinion. If you look at social media bios of fans of K-pop, the number one thing you are guaranteed to see is what fandom they are a part of. It's something that you never see with Western artists. Unless the account is a dedicated fan page uploading content relating to the artist, the average fan makes no effort to let the world know they are a fan of Ariana Grande. Each K-pop group also has a unique way to introduce themselves and a fan chant to scream during their performances. All of these elements combine to create a small society of sorts, dedicated to supporting and promoting their chosen idol. It is also why you see some people very clearly distinguish themselves as separate to this ecosystem. If your sense of identity is so overpowering, it can reduce your capacity to be open-minded, seek the truth and be kind to others. This is why some fans choose not to refer to themselves as reveloves or onces or stays, just as fans of Red Velvet, Twice or Stray Kids. Whilst I do recognise some people want to distance themselves from a reputation associated with a particular fandom, I find it difficult to believe that it's possible to truly separate yourself from the group mentality and hive mind that is fostered in fandoms and by the K-pop industry. One of the most defining features of humans is our capacity for empathy. A University of Virginia study in 2013 strongly suggested that we are hardwired to empathise with others because we closely associate people we love, such as our friends and family, with ourselves. Our ability to put ourselves in each other's shoes is one that is used by the entertainment industry very easily, in a format you are probably familiar with, survival shows. The Voice, X Factor and American Idol are all examples of shows with a simple premise. One lucky talented artist get money, fame and everything in between. You get to see them progress through the rounds, get to know carefully selected tidbits information from their personal life, which creates a veneer of authenticity around them, and support them throughout their endeavours beyond the show, if they manage to stay on. K-pop survival shows work in the same manner. The biggest shows have upwards of 90 trainees from a myriad of companies, competing to win the chance to have their big break and debut in a group, and the techniques used by producers to increase viewership work in the same way. You get to see the trainees behind the scenes working from dawn to dusk, as well as select information about their personal lives, chosen specifically to evoke feelings of awe and pity at how much they are willing to sacrifice for their dreams. To a certain extent, you also get to play God and decide who makes it into the debuting group and who doesn't by the process of voting. This factor used to explain the psychology behind fanship is known as positive controllability. Due to the unique business model of these idol groups, the culture surrounding it is also different because fans feel more empowered by voting to determine which idols will debut and be leaders of teams. All of these reasons so far explain how K-pop entertainment industries work to sell their artists and make a profit, using marketing strategies such as group names and fandom names to create communities that people can identify with and therefore spend money on to maintain.
There is still, however, more to be said about cult-like fan behaviour. Most people who take part in survival shows by voting for their favourites, or people who choose to buy merchandise and let the world know who they stan, more about that word later, are far from obsessive. K-pop, however, has only recently broken global markets outside of Korea, so documentation about fan culture specifically addressed to it is limited. Interestingly, the most documentation about cult fandoms and their impact on humans is in sports. A study undertaken by Edward R. Hurt at Indiana University Bloomington on the psychological implications of sports fandoms had some surprising findings. It claimed that the forming of sports teams reflects the importance of the role of coalition behaviour in societies. In layman's terms, that essentially means that being a superfan is about psychological safety and is deeper than winning or losing. The source goes on to say that large crowds, regional tradition and distinct merchandise give the fans relative anonymity and de-individualisation. All of this simply means that when someone becomes a superfan of a sport, they replace elements of their identity with a sports team. People become fans to fulfil one, if not all three, of our essential core needs, which are validation, pleasure and excitement. The reason people can become cult fans so easily is that the psychology behind cult fanship is simply a reflection of our needs as humans. This also explains why most superfans tend to be teenagers. We are arguably the biggest demographic pursuing constant validation, pleasure and excitement. As expected when talking about fan culture and obsession, the internet has to make a guest appearance. The prevalence of social media means it is easier than ever for fans to engage in online activities such as watching idols videos and commenting on their performances. These behaviours enhance their feelings of closeness and friendship with both idols as well as fan communities. An important aspect of being part of a fandom is the concept of social capital. Whilst doing my research for this podcast, I realised that trying to explain the concept of social capital is nearly impossible, considering it's so ingrained in our behaviour and society that explaining it will make it sound very alien, so I'll try my best. In essence, social capital is the connection and network between people and the value that arises from it, which can be used to help individuals succeed in life. On an individual level, examples of social capital can include opening a door for someone, returning a lost item to a stranger, and just any other beneficial interaction between people that isn't dependent on them knowing each other. It allows modern economies to function efficiently. Coming back to the topic of fan culture, Fans acquire social capital when they join fan communities, which keeps them integrated in society and helps them gain a sense of belonging. This process includes exchanging and generating information about the idols, which is made much quicker due to the internet, where you can easily read and write comments about idols on their performance videos and reality show appearances. This social capital theory is used to explain why fans behave the way they do. As human beings, it is beneficial to us to maintain positive reciprocal relationships between people, which is facilitated by fandom culture and communities on the internet. The internet has provided many gifts to the world, one of which is anonymity. Let's come back to the word stan that I mentioned earlier. The word comes from an Eminem song of the same name about a superfan called Stan who writes creepy letters to his favourite rapper. Whilst the word can be used to mean someone who is simply a dedicated fan of something, it still carries sinister connotations. 
A popular feature of stand behaviour can be the practice of doxing. This is where people perceived to be spreading negative or even opinions of disagreement towards a stand's favourite celebrity have sensitive information leaked to the public, such as their address. The internet provides anonymity to stan accounts and a lack of enforcement of the law in this area means many feel they're able to tweet freely without consequence. This is the core of many issues that have sprung out of stan culture. This links back to the idea of self-identity. People become fans of idols and are attracted to them as they feel a sense of belonging and familiarity as they can see themselves in the idols they are fans of. So when they inevitably make mistakes, as people do, and get rightfully criticised for it, stands jump to their rescue and drown out online hashtags with comments such as we love you, don't worry about the haters, resulting in anyone wanting an unbiased account of what said idol did, having to scroll through pages of unwavering love and support. Mistakes made are not a reason to send anyone death threats or unreasonable cyberbullying messages. However, It is important to hold others accountable for their wrongdoings and help them improve so that they don't repeat those actions. Because fans see themselves in their idols and put them on such a pedestal above the average person, it means they cannot bring themselves to criticise them for anything, even if it is at the expense of other people's feelings. This is a major issue I have with most fandom behaviour, and I have seen this in action many times whenever a celebrity gets accused of hateful rhetoric. Thank you all for joining me on this journey of discovery into the psychology behind fandom culture and why we do what we do. In spite of all that I've said, fan culture has shown to be beneficial due to their ability to mobilise to support important causes very quickly. An excellent example of this is when BTS donated a million dollars in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and armies matched their donation by the next day, resulting in over $2 million being donated to the cause. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into human nature as much as I did, and I hope you all have a lovely half-term. Stay safe and stay tuned for the next episode.